Right, for our Bible reading tonight, we're taking just four verses from a letter that Paul wrote to the folk down in Philippi. And as you can see, it's Philippians chapter 3 and verses 10 to 14. Perhaps I ought to just mention, to get it in context, so you know what we're reading about. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 3, Paul is beginning to wind up his letter to the Philippians when he discovers that there are some who are insisting that the Gentile converts uh, are circumcised and keep the Jewish laws, thus changing, as it were, the basis of salvation from faith alone to faith plus. And that gets Paul really going. And we come in where he replies, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And we leave Paul's writing there. Good evening. It's, it's wonderful to be here again and to share with you. Let's uh, just have a moment of prayer as we look at God's Word together. Lord, sometimes I come to your Word and I find it full of wonderful things, rich vein of ore to be mined and dug out. Other times I feel as though your word is a mirror. And I see myself in it. Sometimes I don't like what I see. In times like this, I find your word is like a flame that wants to ignite again in me. And I pray that tonight we might experience that together that all of us who come together um, tonight in worship, in honor of you, around your table later, that we might find somehow our hearts kindled afresh through the study of the Word, because your Spirit has lit it, has set it alight. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the last uh, several years, I've had the opportunity of preaching at Life Community Baptist Church on Arota, and we often have a topic we're preaching through. And then ever so often, we have that time when we're able to just to have a Sunday where we just pick up a topic um, that really has been stirring in our hearts. And this is one of those. Um, I preached this sermon originally two Sundays ago at Life, and it's been something that has grown even since then, so I felt God had called me to bring it back. Now, I've titled it simply, Knowing Him, The Longings of a Disciple. 
Um, as a counselor, one of the things that has been really stirring in me in the last, oh, I don't know, nine months, year, has been this issue of knowing someone and being known. Now, um, I don't know, but I get these comments like a wife might say, I lived with this man for 40 years. And I realized I never really knew him. Or um, a child saying, they loved me and they cared for me and they did their very best, but they never really understood me. And I think, what tragedies that we could live with someone for so long and never really know him or her. And I thought about my own experience of uh, living with my wife through a, a very serious period of clinical depression where for 10 years or more um, she was struggling with that awful disease. And there's a knowing and a walking with someone there that is very, very different. Um, that's the closest I would say I've ever been to walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When you're close to someone you love and they come to the place of not wanting to live anymore, that is a desperate, desperate place. And then to know her since in these years of recovery, um, she said to me, oftentimes, I feel like I've lost 10 years of my life. And now I'm feeling like I'm, I'm the person I was before, but I'm not the person I was before because so much has gone on since. And then I thought, I also am different in the knowing. Um, in the last year, I just passed through uh, the milestone of another 1,000 hours, so now 13,000 hours of professional counseling experience that I've done. And I was thinking to myself, how different I am in the knowing of others. What knowing them and walking with them has done in changing me in those years. And then I thought the same is true of Jesus. So much more, in fact. We experience different aspects of who he is in different stages of our lives. We get to know him better through the years, I trust. And then also we are changed in the knowing. How tragic it would be if we came to the end of our lives and, and God said, you know, those first months when you came to know me were the closest. And ever since then, you've all, you've, you're, our closeness has diminished. And I feel like I know you less now than then. Don't we want him to say instead, don't we want to be able to say, I grew closer as the years went on. And so we come to this passage in Philippians 3, where Paul, and put the first slide up, where Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in or the fellowship of his sufferings 
becoming like him in his death. My word. My word. That's a knowing. Now we must, I think, make a distinction here. Paul is not here talking about the coming to know Christ that we often associate with conversion. There's a coming to know Jesus that is at the beginning of our journey as Christians, where somehow that sense of knowing about him changes to knowing him, to somehow knowing not just that he died for my sin, but that he has become my salvation. And that is not what Paul is talking about because he's already walked with Jesus many years. And yet he says, I want to know him. It's not like he's attained yet to something. So he's saying, look, it's not over yet for me. In fact, it's only beginning. I want to know him. This is a knowing in the sense of fellowship and intimacy. Those of you who um, are familiar with the old uh, King James version of the Bible, the old authorized version. You know the word that is used when, uh, in the Old Testament when Abraham and his wife got together and had sexual relationships. It's, and, and Abraham knew his wife and she conceived. And that's because in that language of the Scripture, and it's picked up again in, in, um, in the New Testament, Knowing is an issue of intimacy. It's an issue of closeness. And that's the language in which Paul is speaking. I had a a member of the first church I pastored in in the States, in Ohio. And I'll never forget, I walked into her home one day, and on the wall in her sitting room was a little plaque, and it said, God has no favorites, only intimates. I love that. God has no favorites, only intimates. What about you? Do you find your own heart crying out to know Jesus more? Why? What is it? Well, the first door that Paul offers for us is one that excites me immensely. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I think anyone who reads the New Testament would get, especially the book of Acts, would would understand that what is described there is a life in the Spirit that is more dynamic than in the present day, by and large. We don't experience that kind of power working where somebody's walking by in the very shadow brought about healing or that that somebody would walk into church one one morning and see someone who is uh, crippled and see that he has faith to believe for healing and take up his hand and lift him up and have him stand and walk. But that's what was described in the New Testament. I want to know Christ. Paul said, in that way, more and more. There are those moments, though, uh, where revival fire is, is present, when God's power 
seems more profound even in our time. Um, in the 80s, I was living and working in London, and I worked for a while doing, among other things, um, a kind of um, Christian outreach ministry in the local secondary school. And um, one of the men that met with us regularly, and especially to pray with us uh, as a team, was an older gentleman, I mean, probably 20, year old, 20 years older than me at that point or more, who had been a child in the time of the Hebridean revivals. And I asked him once about it. I known there was something about him all along when I prayed with him. Somebody told me this was the case. And he started telling me what it was like to be in that place when the Holy Spirit had begun to break out. He said, I'll never forget it. I was a young lad. But we'd be walking to church and men I had, my parents had known for years, hard, rough people, would suddenly turn around and head for church weeping, falling on their knees and asking Jesus to be their Savior and Master. He said there was such a sense of God's presence that people could not, did not find a way to avoid that knowing I want to know God like that. That experience for him had touched his life and he was never the same. I remember hearing a personal encounter of a pastor I knew who had gone um, to Australia to be with John Wember in a, a series of meetings. I don't know if you know John Wember, but he's, uh, was, he's passed away since uh, the fa- founder of the Vineyard Church Movement which was a really exciting kind of church movement. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, there was a man who came forward for healing at the end of the service. And John Wimber said, what would you like the Lord to do? And he took his glass eye out of his eye. He said, I'd like the Lord to heal me. John laid his hands on the man, and when he opened his eye, there was a brand new eyeball that worked in his socket. Now, that you'll never forget. That you will never forget. I want to know Jesus like that. I want to know the power of such a resurrection. I want the love of Jesus to flow out of me with supernatural power. And maybe some of you have had those experiences, maybe just one off. But they are wonderful when they happen. The touch of God's power doing miracles in our lives. I want to know him in that way, Paul says. But then he goes on, he says, there's another door. And this one, I have to confess, I don't find as, as welcoming. I want to know him in the fellowship or participation in his sufferings. There's this wonderful word in the Greek, koinonia. It means um, the participation, or it's translated fellowship. It's the walking together in, the one anothering. I said, I want to know Paul, or Jesus, in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
And there's certainly a testimony that many Christians have had who've had to endure persecution. In the early years of the church, early centuries, when many Christians were martyred, many of them burned at the stake, um, they would have a signal that if God's grace was sufficient to keep them through the pain and the torture they endured, that when the ropes burned away from their hands, they would raise their arm in praise, and that would be a sign, and that would happen again and again. Wow. But so much of what we speak of as suffering in our lives isn't connected with being tortured or martyred for our faith. It's just the hardships of life, or worse, the consequences of the sins of others or the consequences of our own sin. And what does it mean to know Jesus there? Well, honestly, I'd rather avoid the sufferings if I could, and I think all of us are that way. I really don't want to know Jesus this way. But there are people, and I've met them, who have come to know Jesus in a remarkable way through suffering. Again, when I was a young pastor in my first church in the state of Ohio, there was a pastor that I saw at least once a year at our annual conference, church conference, and he just radiated joy. There was just a joy of Jesus all over his face. And I commented probably the third or fourth year going, seeing him, to another friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine. I said, there's just something about this man that just, he just radiates Jesus. Oh, he said, yes. You know why, don't you? And I said, no. Oh, he said, about five or six years ago, his teenage son ran out of church at the end of the service into the street and was hit by a car and died in his father's arms. And for a year, he grieved and could hardly cope. And then he said, Jesus touched him and healed his grief and his pain. And what you see is the consequence. Well, I thought, I, I want to know Jesus like that. I want to know the love of Christ that heals that kind of pain and brings me joy. I want to radiate Jesus like that. I do want to know him in that way. And then Paul says, becoming like him in his death. Well, how? Paul often speaks of dying to self, and that could be another sermon someday, perhaps. He says, he has been crucified with Jesus, yet still he lives, but not himself any longer, but Christ lives in him. And I think that's what he's speaking of. Certainly he faced death himself. He was stoned and given up for dead, and then the disciples gathered round him and prayed for him, and he came back to life and walked away. He'd been beaten several times, 
with whips and lashes, and yet he survived. I know someone who had a near-death experience. She passed, her heart stopped beating in the operating table, and she tells of this incredible journey of going through a dark tunnel and seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, first of all, being above her body, watching them, the, the attendants trying to care for her body, and floating down this passage toward a light, sensing an incredible love and joy in the heart of that light. And then the pain of her body pulling her back through the tunnel and her coming back into her body and being revived. And she said part of her didn't want to come back. But she said, I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. And I can understand that. Those who know from experience that death has no terror because they are safe in the Lord's heart, they also seem to know him in a way others don't. They also don't seem to be tied to this world in the same way. And I want that too. Three doors. And then he says, if somehow I can attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, that is what really has started to challenge me. The early Anabaptists spoke of a phrase for the normal Christian life. They said the average Christian, they didn't put it that way, but they just said every disciple is meant to be day-to-day walking in the resurrection. Walking in the resurrection. The disciples met Jesus after he had risen from the dead, and they were changed in the knowing. Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, the risen Christ, and was transformed. He knew the resurrected Jesus. What does that mean for us? Can we know Jesus in such a way that we are already living as people whose home is in eternity and whose heart is there? Something triumphant something victorious. And this isn't simply knowing I'm going to heaven. This is somehow knowing that the resurrection has stamped its seal on my heart. I am a child of the resurrection. The kingdom of God is about living beyond death in this life. And knowing this Knowing Jesus in this way, I find the most staggering of all. There's something in counseling where you get past knowing someone's pain and knowing someone's journey to where you begin to get a glimpse of who they were created to be, where you see that real person Yeah, Um, Jesus did that with Peter. 
He said, you're Peter. No, he said, you're Simon, but you will be called Peter, didn't he? And later on, just before the crucifixion, he says to Simon, I know you. And before the cock crows three times, you'll deny that you ever knew me. Now that's knowing him in one way, isn't it? You're going to do these things and they're going to fail me. And he could have said at that point, what's the point? I give up. You've walked with me for three years and at the end of it, what's going to happen? You're going to betray me. But he didn't say that. He said, Satan has desired to have all of you, my disciples, to, to test you like wheat. But Simon, I have prayed for you. And when you turn around, strengthen the others. There's something Jesus saw in Peter that was more than his failures. The real him. And he said, I prayed for that, that it would win out. I see that in counseling. You begin to get to know someone and finally you catch by the Spirit of God something of who they're really meant to be. Now, to me, that is what it means to know the resurrection. To begin to get a glimpse of who we're meant to be in God and to live it and to know it and to encourage it in one another. Knowing Jesus in this way, to me, is staggering. It's so exciting. And then Paul says, next slide, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Now, you see, he's saying, this isn't going to happen by sitting back passively waiting for God to do something. He said, I make an effort here to get closer. How does he do that? When he says, I make an effort to take hold. There's a moving in closer that requires faith. What right do I have to be here? Every right. Draw near, the word says, with full assurance of faith. So we have a role to play. What, made, what this scripture made me think of was a, a little vignette in the movie, the, the last of the three of the Lord of the Rings. Have you seen those movies? You've seen those? There's a place where the, the hero, the little hobbit, Frodo, who is charged with this horrible burden, to take the ring of power into the Dark Lord's realm and to drop it into the lava at the center of Mount Doom so it'll be destroyed. But it has such a tug on him. Finally, you get to this place where he, he's, at the, he's made it and he comes to the end and he takes the ring off and he's going to drop it in the fire and he can't do it and he puts it back on. And then the creature Gollum, who's been chasing him all this time, comes in and jumps on him and wrestles with him. And the only way that the creature can get the ring is he bites off his finger with the ring and he gets it. And then he's, the creature is delighted and he's jumping up and down with the ring on his finger and Frodo wants it and he rushes toward him and he 
knocks him over the edge, and they both fall, and you think it's all over, and of course, the ring falls into the fire, and all turns out fine. Sam, the loyal companion of Frodo, runs to the edge of the precipice where the two have fallen off, and looks over, and here's Frodo hanging by the rocks just beneath the ledge, oh, with his legs dangling over the lava fire. And he's only holding on by one hand because the other head is bleeding, and he can't pull himself up. And Sam reaches down, and he can't quite grasp it because his hand won't hold. And Sam yells, reach, reach. And Frodo looks down, and it's just such an effort, and you can almost see him wondering, should I give up and let go? And Sam says, don't you dare give up, Mr. Frodo. Reach! And then this hand comes out, the bloody hand comes up, and Sam's hand meets it like that and grabs him and pulls him out of the danger. And that's what I think of. Reach to take hold of that for which I've already been taken hold of in Christ Jesus. I have to reach. And I can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying to us, reach. God is reaching too to pull us up to him. We cannot get out of our place, but we can reach. Now Paul says, not that I consider I've accomplished it. He says, look, if you want to know what the biggest danger in all this is, I'll tell you. The biggest danger is complacency. Oh, I've got there already. I already know Jesus, my Savior. That's all I need to know. I'm going to heaven. That's fine, isn't it? How long have you known Jesus? Are you closer to him now than when you first started? If not, something is wrong. I'm not saying that we won't have our struggles. Sometimes my closeness to Sue hurts, especially when she was ill. And it can take something out of us to be close to God. But it might be that those very things are what need to be taken out of us so that he can put some of himself into us. He says, but being determined, and that's the opposite of complacency, determination. I forget what is behind. I wish I had a pound for the number of people who've come to me in counseling and told me they've tried just to let the past die, but it doesn't want to go away. So when Paul speaks about forgetting the past, he isn't saying, just pretend it never happened. Not forgive and forget, those old phrases that aren't very Christian. Forgive, yes. Forget, no, we can't do that. This is about a determination to deal with the shame of the past in such a way that it doesn't prevent my journey of drawing closer to him. And then he says, I strain on toward what is ahead. Now, what is ahead? 
ultimately, there's a seeing Jesus face to face. There's a final knowing and being known. When I will see him, there will be stuff about me that I will see in his eyes that I will not want to see. Stuff that I will regret and wish never happened. I will see the fullness of what I could have been and didn't allow him to bring about. And I will see the love and grace of a forgiving God who will welcome me home. And that final knowing is what I'm straining towards. I want to be as open and transparent to God as I possibly can be now. That way I will be more at ease when I meet him. I want to know him as much as I can now so I won't regret what I could have been quite so much. I press on toward the goal of winning the prize for which God has called me. There are works God has prepared for me to do in this life, but there is a knowing and a being known that he also longs for, for which God has called me. And he cries out to each of us, reach, reach for it. Heavenwards, he says, don't you dare give up. In Christ Jesus, there is an intimacy that should set our lives alight. It should shine in our worship, shine in our witness, shine in our service. And it is our fellowship with him. One of the places we get to know someone is in sharing a meal together. And we're going to do that now in a moment. We're going to share table fellowship with the Lord Jesus. His invitation is, be my brothers and sisters. Be at table with me. Share fellowship with me. Draw near. It's a symbol of all that he's done for us on the cross. But it's also a symbol of what didn't hold him. Death itself would not hold him. Suffering did not prevent him. May we follow him and join in him, with him in this journey. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you because we want to know you, to know you more, to know the power of your resurrection. Yes, and the fellowship of your sufferings. To become like you in death and to live in your resurrection. And as you yelled to us in the quietness of our hearts, reach. By faith, we would reach. That you may take hold of us and draw us to yourself. Amen.